Hello, my name is Ted Bowl, and we're studying words of power today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, the words that we speak and the words that are spoken to us and to our ears are powerful in many ways. And we look forward to understanding this part of prayer resolution better and better because words uh, have meaning, have power, they're important to you and to us in our contact and relationship with you and in our contact and relationship with others. Father, guide us now as we study these important things. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're in the chapter Words of Power, which is um, in your syllabus. I'd like you to follow along. We are uh, looking at those words that are spoken to us or spoken by us uh, and their importance. Before we dive into the topic, though, let's just think about the power of words. When we go back to Genesis, we understand that God spoke the world into existence. It was his word that uh, created the universe and all of the pieces, including us. Um, he formed us with his hands, but he spoke so many things into being. There is great power in his word, and we also know that that very word became flesh and dwelt among us as Christ. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So that word took on flesh and spoke to us in um, human skin. And that word now comes to us by the Holy Spirit. That word comes to us to guide us, to rebuke us, to teach us, to correct us, to train us into righteousness. And uh, the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in that process. So we agree that the word is powerful, but we also know that what God called and spoke as very good became spoiled by sin, by other words that were spoken. The words did God really say created a doubt in mankind's mind about God's authority and created a, a barrier between God and man that we uh, call sin and required a savior. So we have to say that when we're thinking about powerful words, we have to think that power begins with our Heavenly Father as well. It's his authority that he extended to us by giving us responsibility to manage the world and to represent him well and to do and not do certain things. Both Adam and Eve were to do this and not do that. And uh, and so even in our fallen state, we are to do this or not do that. It's It hasn't yet changed except our state has changed. And we as Christians now are looking to apply that power of those words that God has spoken into our lives to direct us and guide us. So, we could say that for a while, mankind followed God's directives, and then they didn't. That temptation challenged our allegiance to God. Did God really say? Was simple and powerful words. He created doubt in the mind. They weighed, Adam and Eve weighed Satan's question. 
And they took on the serpent's words. Uh, maybe he didn't really say it that way. They rejected his words, don't eat. And they rejected the power and authority behind those words. So, we know that good and evil come out of the same mouth. James 3 tells us this. Blessings and curses come from the same mouth, reflecting the heart. And we know that Christ often said, it's not, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles it, it's what defiles you, it's what comes out of the mouth. And so, uh, there are words that have been spoken to you which were hurtful words. Some of those hurtful words didn't stick. You, you dismissed them. And other of those hurtful words you took in, in powerful ways. Here are a couple examples from ex my experiences uh, in working in prayer resolution. A mother was walking down the street with her two daughters, young daughters, adolescent daughters, and said to one, when the boys look at your sister, they look at her face. But when they look at you, they look at your breasts. Was that hurtful? Was that helpful? Was it accurate? How did it affect her? Well, I can tell you that those words affected her. She did not see herself as as beautiful as her sister. And she saw her body as being a tool for attention, which she used repeatedly in her early years before PR. Another teen boy in his middle teen years heard from a, 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 a man who was in a power relationship, who had a, a, a generational relationship with him, a re relative relationship. He heard uh, a comment about his uh, cleanliness habits you will make someone a good wife. A 15 to 16 year old boy hearing from another male, you will make someone a good wife. Did it stick? Did it hurt? Did it cause him to question himself? Did it cause him to take on a worry, a concern that he didn't have? These words were powerful. Were they good? Were they evil? We see in this area of words of power that we're focusing on the words that are spoken to us and by us. And we're asking the question, are they holy or unholy? And we also have to take into consideration that the hearer has the ability to take or not take those words on. We'll hear about that a little bit later when we hear we talk about dedications. So, as we're evaluating speech, we need to know whose standard we're using. What is holy speech? What is unholy speech? What is speech that elevates people and their value to God and acknowledges their value to God? And what is speech that doesn't acknowledge it? Jesus said, if you call a person a fool, it's the same as murder. It starts in the heart and it comes out the lips. We need to evaluate what's happening inside. Not just what the words were, but what's happening inside. 
And then in this section, we're going to talk about how we're released from words that have had negative power in our life or have had a positive power that was overbearing as well. We'll get into all of that. So as you look in your syllabus, we're first uh, going to be looking at um, vows. Now, vows are those words that generally we're speaking about ourselves or about uh, they're related to us. I make a vow to uh, parent parent a whole lot different than my parents. I'm never going to parent that way. Or we make a vow, I'm going to read my Bible and pray for an hour each every day. And so we make we make a statement that says uh, what we're going to do. And and the question is, is there a power in a vow? Do those words matter? And does God care what we say? Well, he does hold us accountable. Deuteronomy, in your text, Deuteronomy 23.22 says, It's neither godly or ungodly to make vows, but if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. In other words, if I don't make a vow, I'm not being held accountable for my vow. So let's be thoughtful about that, yes. But when we make a vow, in Ecclesiastes 5, 4 to 5 in your text, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. So, God holds us accountable for what we say we're going to do, whether it relates to our spiritual faith or not. If we say, I'm going to go to um, Mongolia this August, well, what if the government doesn't allow me in because of COVID or etc.? What if I don't get a visa, if I needed a visa to a country? So, uh, there are extenuating circumstances that I may not be able to see around, and yet I've uh, constrained myself by the words that I have made. So when we vow, we are placing ourselves, and we need to understand this, under God's verbal authority. He'd rather we not vow, but if we do, there are um, requirements. He wants us to fulfill our vow. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Mean what you say say, and say what you mean. And so uh, we are somewhat glib and some take somewhat lightly our, our words, our own words. Now there are some caveats. A parent, a parent has a certain amount of authority over a child in those early years until they're an adult. And when a child is an adult might vary from culture to culture. And so you might consider that when you're working with someone. But um, when a child becomes autonomous, they become more responsible for what they're doing, with the, some exceptions. That parent's authority allows the parent to override a child's vow to do or not do. If the father and the mother can hear those words, they have an authority to undo those words because... They are responsible for that child at this point in their time. However, we see in your notes 
that when a woman is uh, widowed or divorced or is living singly outside of the parental authority, she's responsible for her own vows. When she's in a marriage relationship, God puts the husband in a responsible position over those words. It is his, it is not that she cannot say them, it's that she should say them in front of him and his authority, uh, delegated by God in Genesis, um, is, uh, able to undo her vow if it's an unwise vow. So, should we make vows at all? Well, probably not. James 4, 13 and 14. Come now, you who say, today and tomorrow, we're going to go here and we're going to spend a year there and we're going to do our business and then we'll make a profit. You do not even know what's going to happen tomorrow, he says. Well, we don't. We don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. Maybe Jesus will come. Maybe not. It's not great, a good thing to make a, a vow. But some vows are could be good. Our marital vow can be a good vow. But we have to weigh what we've said in sickness and in death. Okay, we've, we've said we're going to be together. That's why we have to break these bonds if that are broke, that are broken by a failed marriage. Not that God likes that, but when it happens, we need to take care of that piece of it. Because we vowed to stay together till death do us part, most likely. Reading your Bible daily is a worthy goal, but is it, should it, you make a vow? What if all of a sudden your parent gets sick and you don't have time to read that day? What if you're taking a long road trip and you don't have great time to read that day and you vowed to read an hour? Don't make an unwise vow. And if you have, let's get out of it. We'll talk about that at the end of this class. Be careful what you vow. God is taking notes. Now, the next section in here relates to declarations. Declarations are not things that we say about ourselves, like, I won't parent like my parents. No way, I'm not ever going to be that person. Well, and then you turn out to be kind of like that. Okay, better undo that vow. But a declaration is something that's said about you, generally. You can make a declaration about other people, but declarations are strong statements about us that we might accept as true and live out their verdict. Um, there have been people, and your notes give these examples, of people who heard a parent speak disparagingly of them. Well, I, I expected your, your brother, let's say I'm the brother, I expected Ted to get a girl pregnant, but not you, and all of a sudden realized that mom had a, a low opinion of me. That didn't happen to me, but if it did, that would be a declaration made about me. And um, they can people can characterize us in various ways, good or bad, positive and negative. And generally, these are significant people in our lives that say this. Uh, relatives, uncles, aunts, grandparents, mothers and fathers, 
pastors, preachers, teachers, um, leaders of various kinds, politicians, uh, etc. People who are in leadership positions that we have given a kind of allegiance to, some of them appropriately, some of them maybe beyond appropriately. They were, these words characterize us in ways that may be positive or negative. So what if somebody said, you'd be a good pastor. You'd be a good doctor. You'd be a good nurse. Is that positive? Is that negative? What if they said instead, have you considered being a pastor? Have you considered being a nurse? I had one semester in a seminary for my own interest, not because I wanted to be a pastor. And frankly, I met some people who had heard, you'd be a good pastor. And they took those words to heart. But they were deer in the headlights. They did not have what it takes to be a good pastor. They took somebody's words to heart. Words meant perhaps to be good, but were given with an authority that was beyond what that person could speak from. Because God, perhaps, had a different plan for them. What if you heard, move over so I can video your cute sister? (laughs) Yeah, somebody heard that. That stuck with them for 20-some years before they took care of it in PR. What if you heard, well, son, we're going to move you into these uh, other classes where you're going to be able to get some more help with school and um, and you'll be, you'll be able to do a lot better, I think, in these classes. And those classes were the dumb classes and this person took on the moniker, the the classification, the declaration that he was dumb, that his teacher in power and his parents in power had said to him, yes, he had some slow learning issues, but he and he needed some help, but he took on a label that caused him to see himself as incapable. And now as an adult, he had acquired a skill in auto mechanics to work with uh, electrical vehicles. He had some specialized knowledge and was very good at that and wanted to use that. And he was confronting this idea that I'm too dumb to do this business on my own. I can't do this on my own. I'm too dumb, even though he had the skills. He had taken on this declaration over him. So how would you help someone who had accepted those kinds of declarations? Um, and, you know, when we're in front of those people and we're hearing those words, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit what to do. Um, this mechanic, auto mechanic, asked, eventually recognized that God didn't call him dumb. God was able to see him accomplished, able to pick up the right wrench put it on the right part, take it apart, put it back together. He was competent. He was able to accept the reality that God saw him as competent, even if others 
even if himself didn't. And he was able to reject those words and reject what he'd done with them to the extent not that he didn't have some learning issues. There were different ways in which he would learn more easily than others. But that he was competent and that he was valuable and that he had a place in the world. This is the worthiness topic that we'll be getting into also. What we do is we go before God and we accuse people that spoke the words and forgive them and we confess what we did with those words and ask for forgiveness. Reject the words and ask for the freedom to be ourselves, to be the person God wants us to be and to follow his plan for our life. Now, other words that are kind of declarations, not listed in your um, syllabus, would be words that we sometimes characterize as words from the Lord. It depends on your perhaps religious um, situation and, and your comfort in terms of worship and whatever, but there are some people who have heard as part of their faith experience people saying, I have a word from the Lord for you. Well, <clears throat> words are powerful. God used words to create the universe. He used word to become flesh in Christ. We have words in the Bible. And we have words from the Holy Spirit. It's possible that somebody has a word from the Lord that we need to hear. So, how do we test these words, though? Rather than just blindly accept them, it's my pastor. It's a word from the Lord from my pastor. My pastor says... You need to pray on your knees one hour a day and read your Bible one hour a day or you're not a good Christian. Really? Is that true or not? We have to, we have to evaluate that. God's holding us accountable for what we bind and loose ourselves to on earth. So here are some thoughts. Recognizing that even Satan knows scripture. We don't just accept words, we test them. We find out what, whether they're from God or not. And the standard is, do they agree with the commandments of God that we already have in his word or by the Holy Spirit within us, who's leading us? We test those words by whether they create obedience and disobedience or disobedience in us. So, is the word from the Lord or from the deceiver? We want to know. A false prophet, we know we don't want to be a part of that. So does it line up with scripture? Here's a list. Does it line, does their word line up with the word of God, the Bible? Does it line up with the character of God? Does it line up with what God is already doing in your life? He has a plan for your life and mine. Does it line up? Does my spirit agree with the word that was spoken to me by this person? Or do I go, eh, maybe not? Do other trusted counselors that I have agree with this word that was spoken? A great variety in a multitude of counselors is great wisdom. The Bible says. Does God agree or confirm this word to you? When you sit in prayer, meditating and silently listening, 
Do you hear from the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you hear no? Do you feel comfort or dis disharmony? What are you feeling with this? Does this word glorify God or does it glorify another person or a business or an organization? Does this word bring liberty? The truth sets us free or does it bring bondage? The truth that does not set us free. These are some things to think about words that are words from the Lord that we sometimes hear in certain faith traditions. Uh, some more than others. Okay, in in your book, we're next looking at the idea of dedication. Dedications are promises that others might speak over our lives, often meant for good, but they may not be accepted by the one by the one who hears them. Now, for instance, Hannah dedicated her son Samuel to the Lord because she had prayed. She was barren and she had prayed for a son and here he came after God granted her uh, a son and she dedicated him to the Lord. And did excuse me, did Samuel accept God's call to him? He did. It was a dedication that he accepted. On the contrary, Jabez, in the prayer of Jabez, we understand that he was given a name, a moniker, called pain. That's what his name means, pain. And he rejected that dedication. And God gave him freedom to live without the, the bondage, the bond of that name in his life. I recall a person who, in another country, who's name was very similar she was she was female and her name was very similar to a male's name and i asked once over a, a lunch break i said tell me about your name what does it mean and she said well it's kind of a a male name my parents were expecting a boy uh, and they got me but they kind of kept the name and i thought to myself i wonder what that did to her and uh, at a later visit, we talked about it briefly. And uh, I discovered that she had rejected the maleness of her name uh, and had accepted the uh, transitional form of that name for herself that was more comfortable for her. Very interesting. But... Uh, there's, there's a dedication that parents had made. You should be a boy. I'd want you to be a boy. I'm going to give, give you a name that sounds like a boy anyway. And uh, that was something she had needed to take care of and was working through. Now, we think about child dedications also. Uh, when a child is dedicated in church, uh, the parent has an authority to take on a, a vow for a while while that child is dependent for them. And uh, has a responsibility. But what vow did you make before God and the church? What did you vow to do? Have you lived up to it? That was a dedication that you made, I made, at, with the power and authority as a parent. And so uh, we need to be careful what we say and agree to. And if you're not sure, you want to say, yes, I will. Whatever the words are, then you shouldn't say them. 
you should hold yourself accountable to God first and foremost. And if you haven't, you'll want to take care of it. Now, sadly, there are satanic dedications. There are children who are dedicated to Satan in ritual worship in some horrific situations. Just horrific. I hope you never have to experience that. But if you do, you need to know that God is able to unravel satanic dedications when children are dedicated to Satan in these horrific ceremonies. Uh, baptized into Satan. Using similar things to Christian baptism and dedications. and um, But in perverse sorts of ways. And God is able to release people who have been dedicated in these ways so that they can live a godly life. And they need to be doing those, making those prayers. It's not complicated. It's very important that we're aware that these things need to be taken care of. So, we clearly understand what dedications have been made over us, good or bad, seemingly good or seemingly bad, how we've looked at them. We clearly understand the situation. We accuse who we need to accuse, forgive, ask God to do justice. We confess any part that we had, any acceptance of of those words that we took on, and we ask for forgiveness and receive it. And we do the other corollary, corollary things that we'll talk about in just a bit. Let's go to the part of your syllabus that's about blessings and curses now. Blessings and curses are powerful tools that can create or destroy. They're words or statements that lead to encouragement, affirmation, hope, and life. Blessings are. Curses are those words and statements that lead to despair, destruction, and death. Again, out of the same mouth come blessing and curses. James 3.10 God is holding us accountable for these things that we say. I bless you. I curse you. You fool is like I'd like to murder you because you're so stupid. God's holding us accountable for these thoughts that come out of our heart and come out to others. Whether they are spoken or not, but we're talking about words that are spoken. We're talking beyond thoughts now. We're talking about words that are spoken because those go out. If I say them about you, they go to you. And I'm aiming them at you. I'm aiming those words at you. Or I'm aiming them in gossip at you from a distance. I'm coming around a corner through somebody else to you through my gossipy words about you. I'm blessing or cursing you uh, to your face or from a distance. And God hears it all. Now, there are positive blessings. There are positive blessings. We know that fathers have the opportunity to bless their children. Uh, Israel blessed his children. Jacob blessed his children. We know, uh, we know that, uh, Jacob robbed Esau of the blessing from his father by deceit. But we know that that blessing could only be given to one person. 
And that had um, significant consequences. So blessings are powerful. We cannot deny it. And Jesus said to, about the children's, Bless the children. Let them come to me. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. I like that comment from Jesus. Jesus was saying, Everybody can come to me. Little, old, wise, powerful, weak, rich, poor, sick, well, everybody can come to me. And he also said, faith is not so complicated that a child can't figure it out. Let them come. Those were blessings. But there were negative uh, blessings or, or curses, actually curses, Uh, Balaam was asked to curse the Israelites by the evil king who didn't want them to come into his land. And Balaam said, well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. And it took a donkey talking. Here we go. There's words that you don't expect to hear. You know, Balaam didn't listen to the donkey rubbing his leg into the wall, the stone wall along the road and, and stopping in his tracks. Balaam didn't listen to that. He was beating the donkey. And finally, the donkey was even was given words to say. The donkey was given words to say so that um, so that this Balaam, who was kind of like, what's going on here, dumb donkey, finally heard from the donkey, in God's words, what was going on. And then his eyes were opened. Wow. Do I want to be that stubborn myself? That a stubborn old donkey is going to talk to me? I don't think so. But God was serious about that, huh? God was serious. And he said, I don't want you to do anything but bless these people. Do I have your attention? That's what I want. And so it took a lot uh, for Balaam to get the message. But we also know that Jesus cursed a fig tree and it withered. And we don't really know exactly why. But we do know that there was power in those words. Right? And so, when we're evaluating blessings and curses, we want to not be messing around with what we say or with what others say. We can reject what people We can reject a blessing if it's not really a blessing from God. We can reject a curse if it's not from God. But, there are curses that come to people who blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to debate what that means. There are curses that come to fig trees. There are curses that fall upon people who make a believer stumble. Better they should have a millstone around their neck and thrown into the deep sea than they should do that. God has his standards and we're wanting to listen to those and follow them. Now in other parts of the world and increasingly in this uh, quote-unquote Christian nation of the United States or Europe, There are shamanistic, there are satanic rituals and other things performed. There are blessings and curses that are being put on people right and left. 
And if you're working with someone who's come from a, 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 perhaps a Tibetan or a shaman or animistic religion or many, just many other religions uh, that have been syncretized, in other words, have adopted some of the local religions into their Christian faith, they may have some curses and some names that have been spoken over them that they need to reject. If somebody comes to you and they say, I just, in the presence of this person, I just feel wrong. I feel uneasy. I feel evil. I feel my skin crawl. I feel whatever. Or they have taken on a name. They've been given a name by a shaman. Or they've been dedicated by uh, when they were ill, if the shaman spoke uh, curses or blessings over them and and powerful incantations, uh, the spirit world has its place. And we need to understand these words and we need to understand the occultic influence that's there and we need to take care of it thoroughly. And so in other chapters, we talk more in depth about occult activities. And so... Um, just understand how this all gets woven together now. Okay, we're coming to the down the home stretch. We're looking at the prayers and the things that we'll want to pray to take care of words of power that have sought to harm us. <laughs> if you find those pages in your book <clears throat> at the back of the chapter okay so we're thinking about these things vows judgments declarations or dedications and curses so we want to understand the issues very clearly we're going to take all the time that it takes to help the person to help you understand what was spoken what was meant or what you felt was meant by those words that you spoke, vow, or others spoke in the, the case of uh, judgments, dedications, and curses. They're either your words which you confess or they're others' words which you accuse. We understand those issues deeply and thoroughly so that we know how best to pray. Again, it's not complicated. We simply want to pray in a way that acknowledges God's rules and the way he looks at it. So we want to understand from God's perspective how those words were righteous or unrighteous. And in this case, we're looking at unrighteous words that need to be um, disavowed or broken or rejected. We accuse, if it's pertinent, if it's a vow that you made over somebody a declaration you made over somebody, uh, over a child, over a friend, over a parent, um, then you have to take care of that as a confession. Accuse if pertinent, and then decide to forgive. All sin, everything that comes against God's standard, is forgivable by Christ's blood. That's the glory of what Christ has done for us. And for all of those times when we have lived under the authority of another person's words over us, we need to be free of that. We need to be free of that. And so, His blood 
covers over our sin and it covers over their sin. And what we want to do is get out of God's way. We want to get out of God's way so that he can do his justice for us in their life and in ours. And we will be satisfied. Do you trust your Heavenly Father that he would do the right thing for you? That's the question. We forgive them and we give up the right to accuse them again about this because we've laid it at his feet and we don't have to hang on to it again. We ask him to for that justice. Then we go on to our part. We confess, if pertinent, and we ask then for forgiveness. Our sins can be forgiven. We're simply acknowledging that his blood covered over that sin that we've just confessed. Then comes the part that we uh, is special in these this area. We need to reject. We look at the steps. Step six, we need to reject the vow made, the judgment or declaration spoken over us, the dedication made over us, or the curse. We reject that. We say in our in the prayer, I reject those words that um, I will make someone a good wife someday. I reject those words that I'm dumb and incompetent. I reject this curse that I will never amount to anything and I'm only destined for evil. I reject. That's your declaration of how you believe about those words. What you're saying to your Heavenly Father about those words. I reject those words. God understands now where you're standing. On what side of the fence you're standing. Are you accepting them? Are you rejecting them? Are you accepting them? Are you rejecting them? I accepted them for a while. I'm rejecting them now. I'm rejecting them. I'm saying to you, Heavenly Father, I reject these words. They are wrong words. I understand that clearly. I know what I want to do with them because I want to live in the freedom. And so when we reject them, then the next step is we ask God to break the power that these words have had in our life, whether vows that we've spoken to read the Bible an hour a day, and we've only done that uh, once or twice in the month, we ask God to break the power of our vows because he's the one that's holding us accountable to it. And we say, I reject it because it was an unwise vow. I reject it because it was a, a, a word spoken over me that you're dumb that I reject. I'm not dumb. I'm not dumb. You don't call me dumb. They called me dumb. I, I'm not dumb. And so you'll notice in your, in your syllabus that for a vow, we're asking for release and or freedom generally. In a vow, we're asking for release from the obligation to fulfill that vow. We said, we will do this. I will do this. This will get done. It will get done by such and such a date. I'm going to go to this town and do this and that and come back and be rich. Yeah, what if it doesn't happen? I want to be released from the obligation to fulfill that unwise vow. I shouldn't have made it. I'm rejecting it. I ask you to break the power that it has in my life.
with a judgment or a declaration that's been made over you, you're asking God, you see, for the freedom to be who you are. God made you, you. (laughs) You're not supposed to be like somebody else. Do you get that? You are to be you. And you want the freedom to be what who God wants you to be. Not what other people, thinking they're saying good things, believing they're saying good things, but not saying the right things, have said about you. You're asking God for the freedom to be who you are, to break the power of those words spoken over you. You're going to make a good pastor, and you follow that, and you're really miserable. Ask God to break that so that you can be the freedom to be the good person that he wants you to be, doing the good work that he wants you to do in the good place that he wants you to do it. If you've been dedicated uh, to something, uh, to Satan, or uh, to some religious practice or something, and then you need to be, you recognize that it's not from God, it's, it's something you need to be free from. You want God to break the power of that. That's His job. And you want the freedom to make life choices that are not constrained by that dedication to Satan or to some other organization or something else. In the, in the aspect of a curse, You're going to be asking God to break the power of the curse and for the freedom to be blessed. Um, There are people who have been cursed by others. You may have been cursed by others. And if the Holy Spirit brings that to mind, or if you're aware of those curses, God will break the power of them because He wants you to be a child living in the freedom to be living an abundant life his way, in his places, in his timing. And you want the freedom to be blessed. At that point, you uh, will hear a witnessing prayer from the safe others that are working with you, who will acknowledge what you have prayed. Not in detail. God's heard it. You don't need me to... uh, take my notes and, and repeat all the details. God has heard it. I've, and I, if I'm witnessing your prayer, I would witness that you accused, if you did, and you forgave and you asked for justice and you gave up the right to bear witness again about this. If you confessed, I'll witness that you confessed without a lot of detail, that you asked for forgiveness and then you accepted his forgiveness I will witness that you rejected whatever and that you ask God to break the power and to give you freedom uh, or release, however you might have said it, to be yourself, to the freedom to be who God wants you to be and not who others want you to be or who you thought you ought to be. And you'll notice at the bottom that There are things such as emotions that you might want to give to God. And the harmful, not all emotions, okay? We we should clarify that negative emotions that are associated with these words are what you want to give up. Why should they have influence in your life any longer? When you're around that person, you remember those words. Why should that happen? 
Give those emotions over to God and ask for the memories to be under the control of the Holy Spirit so that if the Holy Spirit wants to bring that experience, that that experience back to mind, maybe you're going to help someone else down the road and you, you don't know it yet. But somehow that ministry, that ministry that you can provide to another person down the road could come back without the harmful emotions and without you worrying about Satan going, yeah, but you did you really take care of that? Did you, did God really take care of that for you? You know he's going to play those games. That's his job. So you ask the Holy Spirit to help you out on that. So, and if Satan comes back and you feel that it's not from God, you can go, hey, wait a minute. Remember on this day I took care of it. Beat it. Beat it. Get out of here. Now, family bonds restored or broken completely. Wow. So what if the negative words come from somebody who's still in your life? You're still in relationship with them, but you you need to you've asked God to break that. Um, you may not be able to break that family bond. You may still be under your parents' authority. It may not be a good authority, but you may need to break that. If it's a pastor. You can you can say uh he thinks he has that kind of authority over me but you don't think that he has that kind of authority. You may have to find another church if it's an unhealthy unwise place to be. You may have to break relationships with certain people who are um have evil intent or seemingly have nothing but good um, nothing but bad for you. I could give you an example. I'll save that for the discussion time. What if there are occult issues such as satanic ritual abuse uh, or other satanic practices that have uh, influenced this person? Those will need to be taken care of uh, thoroughly and confronted. What if sexual sin is a part of these words? Uh, there are, are times when words... Oh, well, we're just playing around, and then all of a sudden we've had intercourse, and now you're pregnant, or they're pregnant. And so those little words had a big influence. Uh, they created a life. They may have taken a life. Um, and we need to think about sexual issues that may have come through that. And if there were lies that we have believed, um, th this could be another area that we have to... to uh, think about as we take care of this. I believed the lie that uh, I was stupid. How did I live that out? What are the ways in which I lived out that lie that I was stupid? Those were words spoken over me. Um, I, I accused the person of saying those words, but have I confessed that I took those words to heart and I lived them out? That somebody said... Uh, you're only loved if you're being sexual with with men and have lived a promiscuous life as a result of that. Um, those kind of things happen to people, that they accept the words that are spoken over them or the attitudes and things that are, are brought to them, and they live them out. They accept them. They're not God's truth. They're somebody else's lies. They're Satan's lies. 
and uh, we want to take care of that. So, <clears throat> in a summary, I would say that um, that Section 7, uh, just a quick review, with a vow, we're basically saying, I bound myself, God, you release me. I bound myself, God, you release me. With declarations, judgments, we might say simply, I was constrained by those words. You released me to freedom and from any obligation to fulfill those words. With a dedication, we might say, I was bound by those words. You give me freedom. You loosen me from those words and the freedom to live my life. With a curse, we might say, they brought an unholy pressure and constraint on me. You allow me to be freed from any bondage and live fully under your blessing, Heavenly Father. That is what this section is all about. Heavenly Father, thank you for the attentive students. Thank you for these thoughts that you have brought to us from your word. Thank you for the hard work that people who have gone before us in prayer resolution have done in understanding ways that you have spoken in your word and by your spirit that we can be loosened from harmful words that have, we have spoken or others have spoken over us. Father, we seek to be free agents able to move about the world as your son and daughter without any constraint other than the constraint of love. We ask for these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you.